Totally Football Show. Today, Liverpool come from behind to win on penalties in Istanbul again as Chelsea suffer Super Cup reversal. We ask, is Super Cup reversal cup of soup? And in other turkey news, what of Celtic who crashed out of their Euro preliminary? We ruminate on all of that and then look forward to the weekend. A massive round for the big sides and the ones lining up to knock them out of the top spots and Man City taking on Spurs. We'll have that, your questions, Jonathan Pierce's pre-game notes and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. In the pod for you today, we have Michael Cox... Author of The Mixer and uh, AKA Zonal Marking, and now, of course, writing tactics for quite understated website, The Athletic. Spot on. Also in from the shy, almost invisible athletic football journalism source, it's Jack Lang. Hi, James. Hi, Jack. you got a piece on there about Lucas Moura. I have today, yeah. All right, how timely. Perhaps we'll have a little word about that later on. And not from The Athletic, but very athletic. It's Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Quite athletic. Right. I'm comfortable with your digits. Mm. Mm. Good. Well, uh, some, some stat action to come from you, Duncan. No doubt. We've got a lot to discuss today. Of course, Premier League hoving back interview. But there's been big football midweek as well with the European Super Cup and another trophy for Liverpool. Klopp can't stop winning silverware now. Uh, as mentioned, on penalties in Istanbul after trailing at half-time. Giroud giving Chelsea the lead and then Manny with a brace and then the Giorgino penalty and then it all went to penalties. And 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 what do we make of it all, Michael Cox? Game of two halves, really. Chelsea started excellently. Four halves, actually, technically. Well, that is true. It's only two halves of the initial three quarters. Yep. It really all changed when Firmino came on. And uh, I thought Liverpool were exceptional for 20, 25 minutes. Probably should have... Won the game, I think, by the end of the 90 or by the end of the 120. So the second half of the original 90 started with Chelsea one goal up and looking the better side. And within three minutes, with Firmino having come on at half-time, Liverpool were ahead and suddenly all over the Blues. Why did he make such a difference? Within five minutes, he dropped deep and and got the ball between the lines and Chelsea's centre-backs didn't know whether to follow or not. And that's not something they had in the first half. And uh, he's just very good at playing those little balls for the wide players coming inside. He did that against Norwich for Salah's goal. And like I say, I just don't think Liverpool have a replacement in that mould. You saw that in the Champions League final when Firmino wasn't fit and Liverpool struggled. I mean, obviously they did score early and sort of sat back deliberately, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, they've kind of got a heritage of that sort of play. You know, you think back to Kenny Dalglish, Peter Beardsley, that kind of striker that drops deep and kind of creates spaces. It's quite a Liverpool thing when they're successful. You see other strikers dropping deep. Uh, Harry Kane is a good example. When he drops off, he'll he'll turn and he'll spray a nice pass out. He's got that part to his game, but rarely will he kind of pin his ears back and run at people. Firmino can do that as well. We saw uh, in the lead up to what almost became a chance for him. He did a little uh, attempted one-two with Salah and that was him picking up near the centre circle and just just going really, driving at the centre-backs. Centre-backs, I think, hate that. Someone driving at them uh, from central positions, pulled defenders out of their usual position, slipped it to Salah. Salah's return ball was very close to, to freeing him up. I think he's just got multiple ways of hurting you and combined with his spatial intelligence, which I think everybody is well aware of by now. I think he's just such a complete package. Hats off to the uh, transfer committee who chose to buy him from Hoffenheim. Absolutely. Were they also in charge of bringing in Oxlade-Chamberlain, who made his return after 477 days out with injury? Possibly, yeah. Right, Okay. He looks like he'd been out for 477 days. Poor chap, Michael. I know, I, I hope he comes back to full fitness, but... They improved so much when, when he went off and, and someone fit came on. Right. 
Well, possibly also they were beneficiaries of a Klopp halftime team talk in Ronaldo underwear. We don't know yet. <laughs> uh, there were there were some negatives for. Uh, Liverpool and indeed certainly some positives for the losing side Chelsea Liverpool for the second game in a row winning but with all sorts of uh, openings at the back for their opposition yeah that's right I thought Chelsea were were superb in the first half their midfield three Frank Lampard slightly changed the system in that he was uh, using two deeper and one further forward in central areas at the weekend here he kind of used one slightly deeper and, and Kante and Kovacic shuffling either side I thought that worked really well pulled Liverpool's midfield out of shape. Liverpool's midfield is a strange thing sometimes because you've got Henderson in this new role to the right. He's often much closer to, to Salah and the central striker as he as he is to central areas. James Milner drops into strange, almost full-backy positions sometimes. So there are points at which Fabinho looked a little bit isolated in there and Chelsea's midfield, I thought, was far more forward-thinking than it had been at times under Sarri last year. There were, there were so many through balls here. Kovacic played a nice one to Pedro. There was a nice one from Jorginho over to Giroud. And that kind of ticky-tacky interplay around the edge of the of the Liverpool box was something new, I thought, for Chelsea and I, I was very impressed by it. What did you make of Pulisic in his first start? Yeah, he was lively. I mean, the goal he scored that was disallowed, which I, I must say I hadn't even twigged that it might have been offside. Um, was excellent and they played another couple of really nice passes well, he put the ball through for Giroud's goal and generally looked I mean some people were calling it a Hazard-esque performance is that is that warranted? I think in terms of the style and in terms of what he was offering and trying to do it was uh, probably in that mould yeah mm. we should mention the goalkeepers go on then um, Kepa with a good double save wow which is good to see, because um, often he can go either way in a final. So we've seen <laughs> seen him lose, uh, you know, face, so to speak. And then Adrian, uh, the hero. I, I I love seeing players who just come from nowhere. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he was probably wondering what he was going to do this season, and then there he is lifting a trophy. Um, and he just looked really, really happy. What a story, Adrian, like Rocky, as yeah. Klopp said afterwards. Uh, was his performance that good? It was all right. I mean, I always think you can't... When people go, he saved a penalty in a penalty shootout, I mean, a goalkeeper will get, you know, probably get a penalty save. Um, Liverpool actually the first Premier League team to be in two penalty shootouts in the same month since Middlesbrough back in February 2007. There's one for the shootout ultras. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Good. Well, there, there it was then, the European Super Cup, uh, and, and, and long will it live in, in the memory. Uh, it did go to extra time, though. It went in, on to Thursday morning, didn't it, in the sweltering heat of Istanbul. So I guess one question is how much that's going to take out of these two teams as they head into their fixtures this weekend back in the Premier League. Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp taking on Ralph Hosenhutl as uh, the Reds head to Southampton. Chelsea are up against Leicester in an early six-pointer, potentially, in that six-seventh battle. Because I know, Michael, you have Chelsea's potentially dropping out of the elite. Yeah. This is Frank Lampard's first home game as Chelsea manager, excitingly. Who, Jack, are the only side to beat Chelsea at home in the last 22 fixtures there? I would guess Leicester. <laughs> you, you would be that. right. They won 1-0 at the bridge last season. Jamie Vardy, obviously, the scorer there. What, what, what are your thoughts on this clash are Chelsea going to be pooped by all their exertions midweek? Possibly, and Leicester won't be, and Jamie Vardy. I mean, we, we, I heard you talk on Monday about the Timu Puki stat, about him scoring with his first shot on target in each of the last eight seasons. That's incredible, isn't it? That is good. Jamie Vardy has done it in each of the last four. Um, really? And he didn't have a shot on target in the opening game against Wolves. So, um, and so his first shot on target of the last four seasons he's he scored, scored with. Um, and he's right. yet to have one this season, so he could right. very well... 
you know, extend that at Chelsea. He's actually got everyone kind of knows, right, that Vardy's got a brilliant record against the the big six. But if you actually look a bit deeper, it's really, really good. So his um, his conversion rate, if you take away penalties, because you know it's penalties, against non-big six teams in, in the Premier League, fifteen percent. Against big six teams, it's twenty-eight percent. Wow. So he he genuinely improves against bigger teams. Almost twice as good. Yeah. Ish. Very nearly. I, I don't like these shots on target stats. Sorry. If it was he scored with his first shot of the season, fair enough. But shot on target. What if he's missed ten? What do you say to that, Duncan? Well, that is a technically valid point but right. it's unlikely that someone like Jamie Vardy would have 10 shots in I mean, that season I'm exaggerating we'll wait and see won't we Zonal marking can we have your thoughts says Alex on Kante playing in a more advanced role under Lampard winning ball high up creates danger but is it not worth him protecting the inexperienced defence has Frank already showed his hand about where how he's going to use Kante I guess so I mean it was kind of a similar role to to where he played for Surrey. Mm. And I thought he was excellent. I thought Kante was the best player on the pitch. So On Wednesday night. Yeah. Mm. So I, I expect he'll continue to play there. I thought the midfield worked really well, actually. Jorginho had a decent game. Kovacic seemed to have a little bit more freedom to express himself. I thought he was quite safe with his passing last year. I mean, I've, I've been quite negative about Chelsea going into the season, but I think first two games, they've been really impressive. They've, they've passed the ball really well. They've looked to press aggressively. I think their weaknesses, well, against Manchester United, Zuma had a, a dreadful game, but he was fine last night. Um, I still have a question mark about where the goals are going to come from. I know Giroud scored last night. Possibly not Tammy Abraham on last night's performance. Yeah, I, I think Abraham's got a way to go. I agree with you, yeah feels like the window of opportunity for him is closing quite rapidly. Crikey. I thought Pedro's been really lively as well. His, I mean, I know we shouldn't be surprised after 10 years of doing the exact same thing, but his runs are so good from out to in. They just, there was one tackle that I thought Robertson did really well to track him and, and get a tackle in because so many fullbacks are caught out by that movement. Just a quick word then on Saints-Liverpool before we wrap this section up. Looks a more straightforward fi- fixture, particularly the way Southampton played in uh, the first round of fixtures? I thought they were a little bit hard done by by that Burnley game, to be honest. And I think with Liverpool travelling back, Mm. you know, from this game, Southampton really energetic side. I think Southampton have a decent chance of getting a point. Really? They've lost their last four Premier League games against Liverpool, conceding 11 and scoring just one in that run. But the game in the spring, this equivalent fixture last season, Liverpool were terrible for about 70, 75 minutes and then popped up with three goals at the end, which was in that run. I mean, Liverpool can equal their best ever run of wins if they win this game, 11, wow. 11 in a row. But yeah, like Michael said, I think um, Southampton were, were better than the numbers, the, the raw numbers suggested against Burnley. It's a, it's a danger, isn't it, to trust too much in, in raw numbers. And yet here I go with this about Trent Alexander-Arnold, mm. who has registered an assist in five consecutive Premier League appearances. And he's now one shy of the all-time record. Yep. Held by Fabregas and Ozil, so he can equal that, which is pretty good for a defender. Very much so. If he comes back into the team, of course. Yeah. All right, good. Uh, Excellent. Uh, That's all of that stuff and more after this. Right-footed, near post, heads go up! It's been bundled in by Llorente! Spurs are back in his tie and back ahead. Llorente from two yards out sends the Spurs fans into delirium. Wow. Remember that? Llorente scoring with his... His hit, it was the Champions League quarterfinals. Spurs knocking out Man City 4 4 after that second leg and, and through Tottenham went on away goals. Uh, crazy days, crazy days. Uh, Saturday at five, excitingly, those two teams go again. Will it be something similar, Duncan? Well, weirdly, City 
could hope for the same result because they actually won that game 4-3, so that would do them on Saturday hmm. in the old three-point system that we know and love in the Premier League. I mean, that game was notable for the sheer ridiculousness of the start. Um, was it five goals in the first 20-odd minutes? And I think if, if Spurs are going to do anything in this game, they need to probably start in the same furious fashion. I mean, they were a bit slow to start against Villa last weekend. And, um, yeah, City looked pretty imperious. So I think, yeah, they need to... Need to start, and uh, Harry Kane, the newly slender, fit-looking Harry Kane, needs to uh, hit the ground running. Is it just his haircut, or is he genuinely lost weight? Well, I I don't know exactly. I can't. I'd like to weigh Harry Kane. For right. Him, I wonder if there have been any. Stats he does on look that. a bit. He does look thinner, but mm. it could just be the haircut. Um, is Ericsson the most nailed-on name on the Tottenham team sheet for this one? <laughs> I think he will start after last weekend. Yeah, he just made such a difference. And again, a little bit like Firmino, I think. He's one player that Spurs just don't have a direct replacement for, really. They have some other attacking midfielders like Lamella and Ali, but I don't think of them as kind of overwhelmingly creative players. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Ericsson start. OK. Jack, do you, see, do you see Spurs with any chance of going to the Etihad and, and, and getting another famous victory over City? A team like Tottenham should be able to at least stiffen up to the extent that they can stop City playing through them. You look at the kind of defenders Spurs have. Right. They've got the extra cover now of Ndombele, especially if he plays with Winks and Sissoko. That's a that's a fairly formidable platform from mm. which to build. I just think teams going blow for blow with City, you might get lucky. You might score three goals every now and again. But even like Duncan said, in that away game, they did concede four. It's hard to see anyone stifling City if you're just going to attack all the time. So I think... Playing it fairly conservatively would probably be my approach to it. OK. This is the marquee fixture of the weekend and, and, and a repeat of an absolutely outstanding f- fixture from not too many months ago. So uh, presumably we're all really looking forward to seeing this one, are we? Or yeah, is I, it just so early in the season? that? No, I think I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I do have a suspicion that City are just going to be even better than last season and just blow a lot of teams away. I think Tottenham were... It took a long time to get going against Villa and I think there's some question marks with a couple of defensive positions and yeah, I, I, I do fear for a lot of the sides coming across City because with De Bruyne back, Mahrez, you know, was kind of in and out of the side last year. I think if he gets towards his best, then that's two two extra players almost from last season. Gabriel, and it's, Gabriel Jesus as well, you could add to yeah. that. I watched him a lot in the summer and he really looked like he was back on it. Uh, obviously scored first weekend, but he... I think especially now Sonny is out. I wouldn't be surprised to see him starting on the wing every now and again as well. So, yeah, pretty much three top-rate players who weren't perhaps on it last year, obviously minus Sonny. And mm-hmm. it's easy to forget how bad Tottenham's form was towards the end of last season. You know, If they lose this match, it'll be seven away defeats in a row in the Premier League. Really? It's something they haven't done since George Graham was the manager, that glorious era. So... Yeah, they're up against it. Crikey. Meantime, Man City's neighbours, Man United, will be in action on Monday night when they visit Wolves in another particularly intriguing fixture. Wolves who were disappointed not to come away from the King Power with a win. Man United were thrilled to emerge from their top six clash with Chelsea with a whopping 4-0 scoreline. Wolves, though, with a terrific record against Man United. They didn't lose any of the three games last season, won two of them, and were, were hugely impressive uh, in those games. I think they. it looked to me like they were fairly well up to speed last weekend against Leicester. First half especially, I think they, they shaded the game, probably could have scored, had a goal disallowed early in the second half. And, you know, those, those Europa League 
evenings, I suppose, early in the summer will eventually come back to Haunted Team. But it looked to me like they were uh, very much in their rhythm. It just lacked a little bit of finesse in the final third. Diogo Jota and uh, Raul Jimenez didn't really have their shooting boots on. Right. So they're in action tonight, aren't they, in the Europa League? Is that right? They are. Uh, yeah, against uh, Punic. Is that right? Punic on the streets of Wolverhampton. Right. Which, stranger wasn't a lyric in that song. Should have been. Didn't he never name checked? Should have been. Wolverhampton. Wolves have got a weird hex over United. Actually, um, this obviously doesn't apply now. But right. only there's only been three instances ever in the Premier League of a team in twentieth beating a team who are top, and, and two of them have been Wolves beating Manchester United. So okay. even, even when Wolves are bad, yes. they beat Manchester United at home. This is a different United, though. Surely. Yeah, that's what I mean. They should. So they should just cruise past this. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but Man United looked so good last weekend. 4-0 winners against Chelsea. Yeah. That Pogba McTominay dream team in midfield. Yeah, we go again as McTominay shouted. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean, United had three counter-attacks last weekend, um which I think we all saw they were playing that sort of football. In Mourinho's last full season, two seasons ago, they only had 13 all season. So okay. well, that's... there's definitely a shift in approach. If they're playing counter-attacking football, is that something that is suited to a clash with Wolves? No, not really. Wolves play very deep and I think uh, Tim struggled to get them on the counter. I thought Manchester United were distinctly unimpressive last weekend. Oh, really? I think it's possibly the least convincing 4-0 win I've ever seen. Jack, where do you stand on the United question? I think somewhere between Michael's view oh. and, and the common view. Really? I, yeah, I thought they were, I didn't think they were terrible by any means. I thought they were, Chelsea, I think, opened up quite considerably after the first goal, but you still have to, you still have to put away your opportunities. And I thought there was a, there was a verve to them that was uh, certainly missing in the final stages of last season. I know you can't judge too much by uh, the way players celebrate in their body language, but they look to be a little bit more levity there. I think the way... Martial has been allowed a slightly more free role. I, I never really understand players who, who come here as forwards and are kind of shunted to the left. This was something I've, slightly different to the one I mentioned earlier. But I, I saw Martial as a, a very good option as a number nine when he came mm. to United. Was soon moved to the left. Didn't help that he scored from the left against Liverpool in one of his first games. But I never really saw him as a, a winger. I didn't think he was particularly good there. Rarely see him dribble past a man despite his speed and skill. I think he's much better in those central areas being allowed to drift. I think that works with Rashford as well, who I, I think has a similar skill set, actually. And letting those two get on with it is a pretty good option, I think, up front. Against the better teams, I think that midfield will be found uh, to be lacking. McTominay, I think he's fine, but he's mainly just a large man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just a large man. <laughs> well, I've been asking myself, what, is he good or just tall? Right. And I... I think he's okay, but I think he is mainly just tall. And Andres Pereira, I think, is a decent player, but I don't think necessarily a top six midfielder. Who's going to win this game, Jack? I think it'll be a draw. Okay, that's exciting. And on a Monday evening. And speaking of things which are exciting and on a Monday evening, Duncan, Mm. how about that upcoming Totally Football live in London? It's hurtling towards us. It certainly is, because it's happening, Michael, since you asked on Monday, September the 30th. Uh, when uh, Duncan will find himself on stage with James Horncastle and Julian Laurence, uh, our Tuesday crew, of course, on the Totally Football Show. Uh, oh, would you like to get tickets, listener? You can at southbankcentre.co.uk. Just search for Totally Football Show. And oh, there's not many tickets left, I'm seeing here. So get on that. 
Uh, if you do miss out or if you're just plain not in the London area, we do have a date that's just been added in November in Liverpool. So if that's more you know, to your convenience, then uh, we'll, we'll be bringing you details on that shortly. Uh, top six are under siege. We'll have details after this. It's nice to have a break from advertising. So here's some classical music. Nice. Mm. At Paddy Power, we thought football shirts could use a break from advertising too. That's why we've sponsored Huddersfield Town shirt without a logo and started the Save Our Shirt campaign where any football team that Paddy Power sponsor will be, well, unsponsored. <laughs> Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt too? Now, let's get Bark to the music. <laughs> Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Top six are under siege, Michael. Yep. Arsenal taking on Burnley and the early kickoff on Saturday. Remember, when was it? Season four last. Burnley finished just behind Arsenal. There was that question, could they Could they overtake the Gunners? Um, I mean, it's back on this season, isn't it? After that terrific performance in, in, in the first week. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I no. think, I mean... Ashley Barnes? Yeah, he's... Hip-hop's Ashley Barnes. Yeah, he's been playing very well over the last year or so it's funny with the new Premier League season because there's so many like new players and new managers and new things to get your head around and Burnley are just the same aren't they just the same players the same manager the only player they've brought in a left back from Stoke you think okay that yeah that makes sense but Danny Drinkwater yeah I'm not sure he's he'll figure too prominent oh, really? for a while um, you think that's going to be a kind of Joe Hart-esque signing I don't know, to be honest. I mean, he's, he's barely played for two years, has he? I think he, he was yeah. brought to remind Sean Dyche what to do before interviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, drink water. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's, that's way too complex <laughs> for me. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, an Arsenal stat, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored a brace in all three of his Premier League games against Burnley. It's impressive, isn't it? It is. It's Pepe versus Pope. In this game as well, <laughs> maybe. Um, Arsenal haven't won their opening two Premier League games for quite a long time since the Evening Standard went free. Right. Don't think it's connected to that. But um, when was that? 2010. Ten. Yeah. Mm. Quite a long but they time. have won their last ten in a row in all competitions against the Clarets. Yeah, they've got a, a good record. Uh, Sean Dyche has lost all of his Premier League matches against Arsenal. Well, I tell you what. Let's help Jonathan Pierce with his commentary notes for this game by mentioning that the last time Burnley actually beat Arsenal in the league was the 7th of September 1974, when this was number one. That's right, Jack Lang. Do you know who that was? No, it wasn't Boyzone. No, no, this is 74. This is the Osmonds, the actual original... I should point out, I didn't actually... Mormon boy band. Very good. Yeah. They know the Osmonds. Uh, you remember Crazy Horses? There you are, that was them. And Donny Osmond and Marie. Anyway, that's enough Osmond chat. It was later covered by Boyzone, I think. Great song, obviously. Uh, do you know what was number one straight after that, by the way? What replaced that at the top of the British hit parade in 1974, Duncan? Well, I do, because Ben <laughs> texted it to me. Oh, so. I'm so sorry about this, listener. Um, yes, in it was Kung Fu Fighting. By Carl... Rod no, Carl... Carl not Carl Weathers, he's the actor. Carl Jenkinson? 
Yeah, that's the one. Brilliant. What heady days for pop music. Can you imagine that and then Kung Fu Fighting, double whammy? Incredible. <laughs> Literally incredible. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Arsenal taking a moment. Oh, on a less happy note, interesting article on your athletic thing from Amy Lawrence about the kind of ongoing fallout of that awful assault that Ozil and Kolasinac uh, suffered. When was that? Back in July, when Kolasinac basically managed to see off a couple of uh, armed carjackers with his bare hands and everything seemed to calm down. But then since then, the pair have been effectively almost in hiding because it seems like repercussions have ensued. A couple of people were arrested outside one of their homes. Uh, Kolasinac sent his family away from London and his dog as well. And uh, they're back in training now, apparently, but it seems like for the last month or so, there's just been all sorts of kind of mess going on off the back of that bizarre situation. No? It just shows that these situations, everyone saw the video of Kolasinac and I'm sure had a, a giggle at it and thought, you know, well done on him. But obviously these things uh, stay with people and especially if the, the situation is rumbling on as it appeared in uh, in Amy's great piece. Yeah, I, I hope they can get back to uh, a mental state where they feel they're ready to play football again. Listen, we mentioned last week that we're playing a game called the Match Pint Budweiser Premier Predictor. Why? Well, it's completely free and every week you can win things like beer, a shirt or match tickets. To win, it's pretty simple. Just correctly predict the scores of the weekend's televised games. Download the Match Pint app, open the Budweiser Premier Predictor, choose your favourite Premier League team and then get predicting. If you want to play against us, we've got our own Totally Football Show League, which you can join by entering the league code TOTALLY. Hundreds of you have, and you're all doing much better than us. That's the Match Pint Budweiser Premier Predictor. Download it now, enter that league code TOTALLY and get predicting. There's a free pint of beer waiting for you when you do. Full terms and conditions are on the website. It's 18 plus only, and please drink responsibly. Michael, do you like Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer? Very much so. Do you? Yep. Good. Then you would really enjoy listening to the latest episode of our Series Linked podcast. There's a big interview with them ahead of the start of their new show, Gone Fishing, which I must admit I'm not familiar with, uh, but would like to be. And anyway, you can hear about that and all the telly news that you need in a handy 30-minute digest. Mmm, Series Linked. Search for that wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, on to the rest of the Premier League weekend, which consists of Villa taking on Bournemouth, Sheffield United against Crystal Palace, Brighton, West Ham, Norwich, Newcastle, and Everton, Watford. Michael, you saw Bournemouth against Sheffield United last weekend, didn't you? Yes. Did it satisfy your thirst for all all those kind of uh, wilding uh, tactical innovations? A little bit. They played it a little bit more cautiously than they did last season, which I Mm. think is understandable in the Premier League. I think Bournemouth... Very good on the counter-attacks. They wanted to be a little bit more secure. But there were some, you know, interesting overlapping runs on occasion. And the player I was really impressed with was Oliver Norwood, who plays in front of the defence, has a lot of positional discipline. And as soon as they got him into some space, he's got a great passing range and knocking diagonals out to the flanks. So he's uh, a player I've heard a lot about over the years. But, um, yeah, that was probably the first time I've seen him live and I thought he was excellent. Okay. Uh, Interesting things about Wesley Moraes. Uh, Jack, are you familiar with his background? Uh, a little bit, yes. He well, he didn't really play a great deal in Brazil, but I've seen a, a couple of scouting videos of what he did in Belgium. I thought he was uh, a fairly... Uh, it's an interesting signing because he's not an, necessarily an out-and-out goal-getter. I think he's going to be more useful in, in build-up play. He's kind of a, 
uh, a wall to bounce off. And I think that's useful for Villa because they've got a lot of uh, technical players around him, players who are good at uh, finding the net from from range and getting into the box. McGinn, we saw last week, Grealish, I think, mm. as well. Uh, they've got two or three quite exciting wingers. So I'd be surprised if he got 10, 15 goals, but if he gets uh, you know, seven goals and is a, is a useful decoy or a battering ram, I think that will be just what they need. Fair enough. When I was saying interesting things, I was thinking of uh, items like he had a son when he was 15, apparently, Wesley, and he made it as a pro despite having one leg shorter than the other. I mean, we all do, but I presume it's kind of noticeably so in, in, in his case. Interesting. I think this game in a Sesame Street style manner is brought by the number 31 because Villa faced 31 shots in their first game, which is a lot more than anyone else. And Bournemouth have conceded 31 goals in their last 11 Premier League away games. Um, it's quite a good fixture for Villa to start the season at home because Bournemouth are pretty bad away from home. 3 1 win, do you think? 4 2. How about that? Brighton playing West Ham. Were you impressed with Brighton against Watford, Michael? Broadly speaking, I think there were a lot of big wins last weekend that were slightly um, charitable scorelines okay. to the winnings. They clearly have improved a lot from last season, and I'm quite positive about Potter. Didn't they start last season with a really big win over Man United, or at least it was early under they, Didn't they lose to Watford on the opening day last season? Oh, yeah, you're right, they did. They did have an early win at home to Man United, but you know, just to say that those early results can sometimes be misleading. Mm. It was a weird weekend last week, and there was five games where team won by three or more goals. Um, the last time there were more on the opening day was back in 1951, 50, really early. What was number one back then, Dunk? Glenn Miller or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your knowledge is extraordinary. Uh, good. I like that Potter seems to have taken the, the brakes off slightly. Just the substitutions he made, the fact that both Andone and Neil Mopé scored within five minutes of coming on. Now suddenly it looks like they have three or four. I, I wouldn't include Locadi in that because I still don't think he's very good. But they, they have options and people who can take some of the, the workload off Murray's shoulders, which I think is, is long overdue. Superb. Who's looking forward to Everton, Watford, Norwich, Newcastle and Sheffield United against Palace? Uh, Norwich, Newcastle is the Steve Bruce derby. Mm. Do you know he made 140 appearances at Norwich before he went to Man United? I did. He scored 10 goals for them in 1985-86, which is a good haul. I mean, he got 19 for Manchester United in 1990-91, which is extraordinary for a centre-half. Who but. are the Murphy twins, Duncan? Or anyone? don't know. Josh, <laughs> Josh and... I Norwich think it's Josh and Jacob. crime family. No, they were, they were Norwich uh, footballers, actually. And one left and went to Newcastle. And I got quite excited thinking that we might see them in action against each other. But the other one's left in Norwich oh, in the meantime. Oh. On the subject they, of brothers. James. I haven't finished my Murphy oh, story yet. <laughs> in 2015, a local paper did a feature on the Murphys and whether you could tell them apart. Their own mother only got seven out of ten. How many questions what? could there possibly be? Different angles? or <laughs> No, I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway. James, you know Tammy Abraham? Yep. Do you know what his younger brother's called? Um, Colonel. <laughs> no. Timmy? Abraham. Yes. Is it Timmy Abraham? Yes. Very good. Are there any other uh, um, siblings? T Tommy. No, well, they could have had a Tommy. but Could they, have had a Tommy? Yeah. That's really unusual. So they had a, a Tammy for a boy as well, because it's more generally regarded as like Tammy Wynette. Yeah. Pavel and Ivana um, Nyebved. Do you know what their son and daughter are called? Pavel and Ivana. Mm. It's the same with Mourinho. Jose's called his son Jose. And his wife. Marina. Matilda. Matilda. Yeah. And their kids are called Jose, Jose and Matilda. Yeah. Okay. Not for me. I've got one more thing on Norwich. Okay. Like yep. actual pod worthy stuff. Right. Hang on. Um, <clears throat> do you know who 
Newcastle's last Premier League away goal in August was scored against. <laughs> is it Norwich? No, it's Steve Bruce's Sunderland oh, back wow, in 2011. Okay. So it's been a while. That is a long time. Jack, Joe Linton, how should you pronounce his name? Joe Linton. Joe Linton. Yeah, the, the emphasis on the L. Joe Linton. Joe Linton. So jo- pe- people are making that joke saying, oh, he's Joe Linton. Oh, but more accurate would be Joe, Joe Ellington. Joe Wellington. Oh, Joe Wellington. Surely the joke is Joe Lintoon. Is it? Uh, Everton are playing Watford, everybody. Is there still a bit of Marco Silva needle to this one? Oh, yeah. What did they do last season? When they played the game at Vicarage Road, there was a lot of... Uh, yeah, snakes. Hashtag banter snakes. Didn't they all have snakes? Plastic yeah. snakes, yeah. yeah. Not real ones, luckily. And they also... Do you remember the... Because we had Emma Saunders in, and she was discussing the fact that on the PA they were going to play loads of probably Duran Duran Union of the Snake and other snake-related... No- for a team that ditches so many managers yeah I wonder if they're entitled to be so mm. I so, don't know. so sniffy about that I don't know they look good though last weekend Everton uh, with their 13th clean sheet of 2019 which is defensive solidity under Marco Silva Jack reasons for Watford fans to be cheerful they've signed 17 year old Jean Pedro from Fluminense uh, I spoke a bit about him during the Nations League in, oh, yeah. in the summer but for those who didn't hear that he's a really talented young boy. One of his first goals was a, a sublime overhead kick on the run. One of the best overhead kicks I've ever seen. And yeah, I think obviously 17 is is very young. He's got a lot of developing to do. But in terms of raw talent, he's one of the most exciting players in Brazil at the moment. This is the noise his goal made. <laughs> Yeah, it's an amazing goal, isn't it? Tim Vickery says he reminds him of a young hockey Santa Cruz. What do you say to that? Wouldn't have been my first port of call, but then Tim Vickery has no doubt watched him a lot more than me. All right, excellent. Just on on Watford, Mm. it's worth congratulating them for winning the prize for the first match of the day of the season. I didn't know you'd gone there transfer of the year uh, I was very shocked to see the camera pan to Craig Dawson in a Watford shirt completely passed me by and in fact I don't think I'd remembered he even existed let alone played for Watford so well done to Craig them. if you're listening uh, the rest of us were more than aware of your continued existence and the fact that you would turned up at Vicarage Road uh, Sheffield United will be hosting Crystal Palace this weekend uh, last time these two teams met in the top flight was the first season of the Premier League Palace won one nil. Chris Coleman with the goal back there, Michael. I fancy Sheffield United to continue their impressive-looking start with a victory here. What do you think? I agree. I think they're a good side, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure about Palace at the moment. I, I fear for them slightly. They've never Sheffield United have never won a Premier League game on a Sunday. The only team to ever play more than one game on a Sunday and not win on the Sabbath. <laughs> Black Sabbath for them. <laughs> yes. So that's the Premier League weekend. Listener, uh, be advised that there's some really solid goal content coming up as we delve into your questions, find out what on earth happened to Celtic and more besides. Right now, though, over to producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. Listeners, it's Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's look ahead to this Premier League weekend. Uh, City versus Spurs is the big game. Give us the overall on this one, please. Yeah, another brilliant early season game. The fixed computer spoiled us this term. It's almost as if it's been done by design. 
Anyway, City are favourites for this one. They're three to ten. Tottenham are chunky, fifteen to two. Not there's anything wrong with being chunky. Also, I'm told a lot. And we have a money back as a free bet offer here too. If Raheem Sterling scores, selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet £10, TNCs apply. Two defeats in a row for Frank Lampard, but can he get a first win at home when Chelsea take on Leicester City? Well, it's better than away to United or playing Liverpool in general, but Leicester still aren't exactly ideal visitors, are they? That said, we do go odds on for a Chelsea win. Just 8-11 to though, so maybe some value there to chuck in your weekend acker. Leicester are 7-2 to to win this one, or it's 13-5 to for a draw. And finally, Lee Burnley had one of the biggest results over the previous weekend, 3-0 against Southampton. Can they win against Arsenal? But as we've been discussing, can Aubameyang still get two? <laughs> this would be some way to start the weekend if it comes in. Let's begin with the safest bit of the double. Aubameyang is 4-9 to to score against Burnley. Now, usually, I would scoff at a player being odds-on to score in a game. But after his finishing to Newcastle, I'm totally on board with this one. But the other bit, less so. Burnley winning is 15-2. to two. Those listening closely, hi mum, will know that that's the same price as Spurs to beat City. But I think it's a long way off being a similar likelihood. Double those two bets together though, Ben, and you get odds of 27-1. to one. Good luck. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Drags it with his left foot, Jones is going to stick it with his right and just strangles it a little, just snatches at it a little bit. Oh, no! God! No! Martel scored, Tavares has scored. No one's laughing here. Why is Alan McAnally so upset? I presume it's Celtic-related. Yes, it is. Were you not watching this? I guess this was Celtic. I guess not on that feed. Losing 4-3 at home to... A Romanian side, Cluj, Dan Petrescu's Cluj, and exiting for the second season in a row, the Champions League before it even began. Celtic, crikey. I watched this, actually, I watched the highlights on the Celtic TV channel. Oh, did you? Uh, and there was no Ochnu, there was just a lot of deathly silence. Not for Celtic fans, but objectively quite funny. I mean, it really wasn't, Jack. And it, for the club, it's actually disastrous because um, they just sold um, Kieran Tierney and with the notion they were going to rebuild the club with the money and stuff, but now they can't offer Champions League football. Probably loads of their other players will want out because they're not going to be playing in the top competition. They also miss out on, I mean, potentially up to 30 million in, in terms of uh, revenue from that competition. It's all a bit of a disaster. Did you see Scott Brown's handball? Yes, yes. So this was a tweet from a Celtic fan uh, with some strong words about Neil Lennon's management. And uh, Scott Brown liked it entirely by accident. His finger strayed while he was scrolling through. It, I mean, to be fair, it could happen. It could well, happen. He clearly doesn't have that much control over his arms if his concession of the penalty was anything to go by. Right. I didn't see that. Oh, he he jumped up to, to head a corner away and just tipped it away like it was a basketball. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, Rangers go this evening, I believe. They are up against uh, Michelin, don't they, in the Europa League uh, qualifiers. Uh, Ajax had a near miss against Pauk, but got through. Dinamo Kiev got knocked out by Brugge. Basel are out. Porto lost on away goals to Krasnodar, so they're out. They got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League last season. Big shocks in Europe, eh? The Ajax one was was quite dramatic, at least from the uh, the Greek press was screaming murder over that one. Craig Paulson was the referee. Right. Gave Ajax three penalties. Uh, and the Greek press, I saw a headline that was UEFA Mafia, oh. which was 
who, who should be more offended by that, Mafia or UEFA? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think it was a little harsh because I, I thought they were all penalties. Right. Three penalties is a lot to give to a team, but if they're all penalties... Well, if they're all penalties. Anyway... Were you, were you shocked to see Craig Pawson as you were to see Craig Dawson? <laughs> <laughs> uh, less, I was less shocked. Um, there'll be more on uh, Celtic and Rangers in the Scottish Football Show tomorrow. Michael, I know you're excited for the return of the Bundesliga this weekend. And Duncan, your Wiccan Wanderers are mm. taking on MK Dons. In the fake Buckinghamshire derby, yeah. Right. It's a busy week for the Dons. They faced Wimbledon mm. in the Carabao Cup on Tuesday night. It was 2-2. It went to penalties. And then MK Dons won 4-2. Tell us, Duncan, why did the scoreboard break and Wimbledon not print a programme? Well, the last time they played them, and obviously this fixture is, is riddled with bitterness and acrimony, um, they didn't refer to the Dons in the programme, so they called them MK at all points, and that caused a, an issue and, and stuff. So this time... There. They didn't. Didn't they get fined or something? I think as well. so. Yeah, and they, so they didn't print a program this time, and the scoreboard mysteriously malfunctioned. That circumvented the problem nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens at, at Wickham uh, this weekend. Do Wickham call them the Dons, or do they? Well, there's a lot of Wickham fans who who don't go to that fixture, because, you know, out of sort of solidarity and fair, stuff. So, fair. Um, All right. Yeah. How, how, what do you think the statute of limitations on that move is? At what point can we start to treat them? Or can, has, it, has it already passed? Can we just move on with our lives? I think for, I'd say it's probably tipped over now. And I think the fact that now Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon have played them and right. a lot of their fans have, have gone away to MK, that, that sort of draws a line under it a little bit. But, you know, I'm sure there's still some, uh, well, there's not going to be any Arsenal fans that are still angry about the move from Woolwich. They'll be very old. You say that. But... Possibly. Okay, in the Carabao Cup this week, there were other scores, like Leeds putting Salford out. Oh, and Huddersfield losing 1-0 to Lincoln. Do you know that Jan Seifert has still only won one game since he took over from David Wagner? Wow. Yeah. Anyway, you can hear more about all of that on the Totally Football League show. Let's uh, delve into our mailbag to finish off, because there have been some really interesting uh, questions. Billy Hush says... Does football even need an offside law? I say simply carve the pitch into three zones, as in ice hockey, and say the ball can't go direct from zone A to C. No arguing about whether a ball does that or not. In ice hockey, if you're not familiar with it, the ball has to be the first thing that enters the attacking zone. If you're in the attacking zone before the ball comes in, you need to get out before the ball comes in, otherwise you will be offside. Except they call it a puck, of course, in, in that case. Would that work in football? I think it's a brilliant suggestion. Nah, why not? not? That. It's rubbish. It's not. It's really, really clear. You just have a, a, the, the official standing on the line. And if you, you well, proceed the puck over the line, or ball in this case, you're I, offside. Bingo. I've watched games of ice hockey on yep. TV and I've yet to see the puck, so I'm not sure how it's actually... Well, yeah, but when you're, when you're actually there, you can see the okay. puck. But the football is a, objectively a lot bigger and easier to spot. Yeah, I think the offside rule's fine. Is it? I mean, Marco van Basten has a thing that we should abolish offside, doesn't he? I think it's the silliest suggestion ever. It periodically comes up that every one. few years. Someone will say, oh, let's just get rid of offside. Well, yeah. I think half the problem was the VAR decisions last week about uh, uh, City's goals. So. Yeah, but you might as well say, let's just get rid of handball. Yeah. You go, actually, you can just pick the ball up. It's fine. Okay. On the ice hockey thing, yes. are defenders allowed to be in the zone you're talking about? So oh, yeah, the, the, the other team are allowed to be there. Right. The ice is divided up into three sections, a neutral zone in the middle, 
and the two ends were, were surrounding the goal. Is rink yeah. a dirty, dirty word in ice hockey? You, you say the ice, basically, okay. yeah. <laughs> Rink's what you do, you're kind of figure skating. <laughs> so basically, when you go up ice, when you head up the ice, you need to make sure that the puck goes into the opposing, into the attacking zone before you do. And if you are in there, if you skate in there and the puck gets knocked out by the defending team, which is a brilliant defensive tactic, just clear the puck out of your zone. And then every, all the attacking players who are in there are immediately, instantly offside and they have to get out of the attacking zone. I think it would work brilliant in, in football. I reckon it's worth at least experimenting on in, say, the Carabao Cup to see how it works. Producer Ben's waving a hand almost as if he wants me to move on. <laughs> Try it in the National League. That tends to be where they, they try stuff. Yeah. They try kick-ins there. And, yeah. yeah. I reckon we should do that. Uh, okay. Uh, speaking of the offside rules, says producer Ben, uh, they're actually due in the studio uh, right now. So we, we better just fly through these last three or four questions. MJ Pryor, Oily Sailor, can you provide some stats about how useful corners actually are, given the excitement people have when they're given? Do they lead to more goals for the defending team or on the counter? Uh, it's around one to two percent of corners that end up as as goals. So it's not. But very... more for the defending team or for the attacking team? No, I mean it's very rare that a team will counterattack successfully from a corner and score. But All right. Good the answer. excitement <laughs> that people get over a corner in England is is slightly unwarranted. Right. I mean, you may as well just concede corners if that was the case. <laughs> just from centre, boot the ball out behind your own goal. And do it. Do it the stylish way. Throw in. To your keeper who lets it across the line into the net. <laughs> Brilliant. So <laughs> that's very nice. Brune and Jordan Morland are asking uh, when Golazzo is coming back because they've missed the sweet seat sound of Gab ranting. Uh, it, 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 it should be soon. And I tell you what, one last one for now. Greg Jenner says, if the old foreign player rule were reinstated and teams were only allowed three foreign stars, say in a hypothetical dystopian future in which we'd impose radical new immigration laws or something like that, Joak, which big EPL stars would be sold? Well, most of them. Yeah. Okay, that's the answer right Sadio there. Sadio Mane. Yep. If you think about it, Liverpool Quiet. would keep Alisson, Van Dijk and Salah. and Salah and they'd have to get rid of Mane. Well, they not have to get rid of him, but he would be the one probably that or Firmino so it, it would it would shockwaves huge shockwaves City, City, City would be De Bruyne Edison I yeah. think who would, be, who would get the shockwave and they probably also keep Bernardo so I think really yeah I think I think Aguero Carnage. would go swap Aguero for Gary Walsh and, and get on with it what about Arsenal Bamiang Torreira and Bellerin it's a tough one, isn't it? i tell it? you what, Sheffield United would be fine there, James. Yeah, because they became, what was it, only the first team... For a long time. For a long time to field only English and Irish yep. players, although I'm not sure whether the Irish would be what that would... Uh, well, in before the days of the three foreigner rule, you could field Irish players without it counting towards your quota. Right. Especially if they play as a backstop, you say. the backstop, yeah. Right, OK, good. All right, we better go now. So... Uh, we will be back on Monday when we'll be joined by Daniel Story, Natalie Jedra, and Tom Williams. So do make sure you're with us for that. Uh, have yourselves a great weekend. In the meantime, there's loads of totally and related podcast content if you want, including Duncan and Jack, the official Fancy Premier League podcast, which we're going to be doing in a second. Exciting news in that I'm one. top. Of our league. Of our mini league, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, an outstanding opening weekend from, from Duncan and Jack, and less so from me. But anyway, that's it for now. From all of us here, many thanks, Jack, Michael, and Duncan. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. 
For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>